This episode is made possible by Armoire. I love genius companies founded by women, and Armoire is one of them. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days, and then when you're ready for new clothes, you just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. To me, Armoire Armoire solves so many issues I struggle with today, the biggest one being accumulation of stuff. Let's face it, women want to feel on trend and fresh in their clothes, so we like to shop for new clothes often. But I also get overwhelmed when I have too much to choose from, which happens after years of shopping. I forget what clothes I have and I end up wearing the same thing over and over. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothing for every occasion and then send it back. Whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room without ever having to brave a department store fitting room with those unflattering fluorescent lights again. Trust me, your overly cramped closet and the environment will thank you. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That's A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Heal Podcast. I'm Kelly Noonan-Gores, and every week I speak to the leading doctors, healers, spiritual teachers, and scientists to find out what is truly possible when it comes to healing. I also interview real people with extraordinary healing stories. My philosophy is what's possible for one is possible for all. Marcus and Amber, it's so good to see you again. Thanks for coming on the Heal Podcast. Thank you, Kelly. It's yeah, great to be back. Thank you. Um, so I I don't remember when I interviewed la- you last, but uh, it was a couple years ago, maybe two or three years ago. Was I pregnant at the time? No, it was just about a year ago, maybe a year, just over a year. Okay. It's been a long year. Is that true? It's been a time war. Um, But honestly, like your story, Marcus and Amber, because Amber, you're obviously a huge part of Marcus's story, is really just one of my favorites. And I'm so excited to share it with everybody today. And it's such an important one. So I think the best way to start off is if you guys can give the background, because what was so impactful about the first time I interviewed is, is you gave this whole you know, kind of like the the initial love story and then Marcus's journey into uh, becoming a Navy SEAL and then, you know, the kind of shift and and what you guys had to to deal with together. So can you just give us the background of like how you guys met and and lead into your military background? Yeah, we'll hit the high points um, for the sake of time, but we've been together for over half of our lives. I met Marcus when I was 17 and um, my dad had recruited him to play football. Uh, at the local university. And so immediately I, well, local for me, I grew up there. Division one school. Okay. okay. (laughs) The fighting Illini, right? No, it was, it was Southern Illinois, but it was still, still that's a big, local local to Amber because she lives in town over. I live there. I grew up there. Um, Anyway, I saw him and met him and I was absolutely smitten. He was one of the most charismatic, easygoing, lovable guys I'd ever met. And it was like no one else existed. So fast forward a few years later, when we were both in college, Marcus decided to join the Navy and try to become a Navy SEAL. And that to me was so foreign and 9-11 hadn't happened. And I just thought, I don't want to spend my life married to the military. And so we had decided to break up. Shortly thereafter, I found out that I was pregnant with our son. And so that really changed the trajectory of both of our lives. And we just figured it out. We got married. The baby was born. Marcus went to Bud's. Yeah. So which is sealed training. Our baby was Caden, who's 21 years old now. Yeah. (laughs) Six foot three. Oh my God. (laughs) That's amazing. So then you went to Bud's. What is 
but I mean, I know what it is. I have two friends that I grew up with that are Navy SEALs and you've got to be brilliant, strong, mentally, emotionally, and, you know, get super intelligent. Um, cause you got to make, you know, life, yeah. uh, life or death decisions under duress. And um, so you're pretty much a badass. Explain what Buds is like. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know how I got past the the brilliant part, um, but <laughs> I somehow, I somehow made it. Yeah. My senior year of college, uh, I, you know, I was not, not that I was lost, but I was trying to figure out what to do for the rest of my life at you know 21 years old. And I had always been part of a team and the, the still teams were calling. I saw some specials on discovery channel and, G.I. Jane. And, uh, you know, I thought, wow, this sounds pretty cool. You know, best of the best, um, something different, you know, work with amazing individuals. And so as soon as I graduated from college, we had our son, uh, we got married, we did everything really quickly. And uh, I enlisted in the Navy. And so BUDS is basic underwater demolition SEAL training. Uh, It's an old name. Uh, but it's your basic SEAL selection course for anyone that wants to become a Navy SEAL. And so um, I did that for um, it was about a year, including six months of, yeah, buds and six months six months of SQT and ended up in the SEAL teams. I spent 13 years there and uh, separated in 2013 and, and stepped off into the private sector. One of the things that threw us for a loop was that 9-11 happened the month before he graduated SEAL training. And so in such a short amount of time, we'd gone from being college students to married couple with a baby. Now 9-11 happened. And so we were not prepared for the next in a series of years, but we had to quickly adapt. Wow. So 9-11 happened. You were a you know new initiate. And how quickly did they send you overseas? Yeah. So I was a student. Um, we were actually, uh, we train a few hours away from San Diego. And I remember the instructors uh, telling us that uh, planes had hit the World Trade Center. And we didn't, we thought it was part of the, we thought we were still in training and they, here they are again, just screwing with our minds. Um, we really did think it was a joke. And we said, man, you know, we're almost done with training. Why are they still, you know, why are they still playing these games with us? But, you know, to our not, you know, obviously fast forward, we know what happened. They actually took us in to uh, watch a 30 second news clip and then we were back out and we were training again because we were right in the middle of doing push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and we were doing a workout. And so they didn't really give us much time. Uh, we didn't really know what was going to happen. The instructors, we can tell there was definitely a different demeanor because you know most of those instructors have been in for 10 or 15 or 20 years. They knew what they were about to get into. We had no idea. We just wanted to get through buds. and. Um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was wild. And then once that, I guess, kind of, um, I don't want to say it, it didn't die down, obviously, but uh, we went back to training. We graduated a few weeks later and I went to a SEAL team on the East Coast, SEAL Team 10, the number of individuals and half my class stayed on the West Coast. And um, we didn't deploy for, I'd say a year and a half or two, two years, uh, a year and a half, two years. Um, you deployed in 2002. Th- 2002. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a year. I did. Yeah. I a year. <laughs> Amber's like, I remember very clearly. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> better than I do. So, but yeah, so I was overseas in a year and then I was in Afghanistan two years after that, you know, from then on did multiple combat deployments to both Afghanistan. And then when we went into Iraq, I did a deployment to Iraq and uh, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a quite a uh, fast paced time in the military you know, for individuals that serve from 9-11 up through now. Yeah. So it was about 12 years-ish that you were kind of active, like over there fighting. Yeah, just under under 10 years total, like actively deployed and training um, back and forth. And then my last three years I spent as an instructor. I was a first phase BUDS instructor, putting students through, you know, selection and then uh, I ran advanced training for two years. So, wow. Uh, tell us a little about your role and kind of what, you know, just the intensity that, or I guess like the trajectory of, you know, because you chose to be a SEAL. I remember so specifically because we talk about, 
I really wanted to put and cover a veteran healing story in, in, in the film Heal. And I just never aligned with the right person. But I think your stories are so important to tell. And your, you know, veterans need so much support and, and alternative methods of healing now than the than the conventional model that just kind of assesses them and throws them on a bunch of medications. So I basically I remember you told me I you know, I didn't suffer from PTSD. I fully chose to go in there. Like, right. you know, like it's, you know, I, I was excited to go into battle and I, you know, I was built for this basically. So I wasn't traumatized by it, but um, kind of tell me your trajectory of, of duty over those 10, 13 years and, and where it kind of started shifting for you. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, you know, I still have trouble with the, you know, post-traumatic stress diagnosis, because I, I just think there's still a lot that we don't know. And, you know, it used to be called shell shock. It's the same thing, right? But shell shock was really, guys got their heads pounded and they call it shell shock. But we're finding out what we're dealing with, you call it post-traumatic stress. I think the majority of us that have had mild traumatic brain injuries from like these little sub-concussive blows, whether it's from throwing grenades or demolition or, you know, shooting a, a rifle over and over again for many years, that's shell shock which is now mild traumatic brain injury, which is causing PTSD, which is causing depression and anxiety and, you know, just all these things. And, you know, I was Superman for the first number of years until, you know, I, I think, you know, somewhere 2008, 9, 10, where I feel like I plateaued in 2010, it was just not a good time. And it felt like, uh, you know, my brain was racing all over the place, figuring out, you know, what do I do? This is not the same anymore. I don't, I'm not looking at this job starting to feel like a job. You know, our family was completely disconnected. We just needed something. And so we thought, okay, let's, let's just really almost like run away, you know, we'll run away from everything and everything will be okay. And, and, you know, it just got worse from there. Um, and again, I don't know what to attribute it to, 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 you know, playing tackle football, I remember getting my bell rung at seven years old from a 10 year old, you know, who's like twice the size of me. That's like the hardest hit I can remember from my earliest days. And from then on, you know, you went all the way through college, you know, so maybe that has something to do with it. And then I served in the military. Of course, that has something to do with it. And he was a breacher. You know, I was a breacher in the military. So I, you know, I did play with a lot of explosives for a couple of years. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it. <laughs> and then the transition is tough. It's uh, it 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 could drive you nuts, um, you know. And I, you know, luckily and 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 blessed. I have you know two graduate degrees. I always had a an amazing private sector quote unquote job or started my own company. And you know, economically we've done well, but that doesn't matter. You know, I don't care if you gave me a million dollars. Like I was still bad. I was still in a bad place, and, and no amount of money could equal the fact that there was something wrong. You know, and that's why we're talking to you here today. And that's why we're on this path that we've chosen. So it seems like, obviously, we're seeing in hockey and football, this whole CT phenomenon that's coming to light and suicide and depression and aggression and, and all of these things are, are symptoms, side effects, expressions of CTE. Is mild traumatic brain injury the same as CTE? Is it like, it seems like more of a physiological issue than a psychological issue, this whole PTSD kind of massive depressive disorder, et cetera. That was my observation was that he was diagnosed solely with a psychological condition. And in my mind, it didn't make sense because I knew that he loved his job and he loved deploying and he would go back and he really didn't, to me, seem traumatized, but he definitely seemed cognitively challenged. He seemed unlike himself. His personality had changed. He was experiencing bouts of impulsivity and rage. And, you know, it was just very unlike him, uh, complete opposite of who I met in college. And so for the longest time, I thought, you know, this, is, the doctors are right. This is PTSD. The pharmaceuticals will help. They really didn't. And every year it was getting worse. And so um, there was a brain autopsy that was released in the SEAL community. And that was the first time that I'd heard anything about blast injury. I also know of a couple of autopsies that have shown some stage of CTE in veterans as well, uh, friends of ours that have, have been diagnosed with that post-mortem. It's not a diagnosis that is available in the living, unfortunately, but for someone with the history and the symptoms, 
uh, it's difficult not to assume the worst. And so it felt very much like a terminal type diagnosis. It felt hopeless whenever I realized that this isn't a psychological condition solely. It probably has a physiological component as well. We were just desperately trying to find answers available inside the U.S. Of course, military medicine and the VA, uh, the the go-to mechanisms are pharmaceuticals and talk therapy, neither of which were effective for Marcus. And so I thought, well, maybe brain clinics will help. And while they provided a lot of um, great diagnostics, not really a lot of follow-up or solutions. And so by the time he'd done five over the course of about two years, he was really becoming very frustrated and very hopeless. Uh, And I knew that time was of the essence. So basically like at the 10 year mark, when your job started changing, it's, it could be, it could be, you know, it could be a combination of just high amounts of stress for a long time. It finally depletes your system. It's, it's combined with the physiological effects of mild traumatic or seemingly not so mild <laughs> traumatic brain injury because you were getting hit by 10 year olds when you were seven. And then, you know, you're a breacher and it's like exposed to blast uh, concussions all the time. So you started Amber, he came home and he was a different person essentially. Right. Yeah. And over the course of years, as these changes are happening slowly, you don't realize it. It's only when you think back to the person that you met, the person that you married, do you realize how far you've progressed in not not a great direction. And so um, I was very worried and I started doing a lot of research. So back to your question about how blast injury is similar to CTE or TBI, that's still a relatively new phenomenon. And it's being found in very large numbers in the uh, brains of veterans post-mortem. So it's thought to be very similar yet different than a degenerative brain disease like CTE, which is also, and it's, there still needs to be a lot of research to fully understand CTE, but it's thought that over time, as these concussive and subconcussive blows to the head occur, whether it be from contact sports or blasts, Um, it can create a degeneration in the brain over time. And as that happens, these other symptoms come into play, which range from depression to mood issues, impulsivity, insomnia, hormone imbalance, imbalance. and all of those things together just make this toxic combination. Veterans, by and large, are diagnosed as having PTSD if they've seen combat. It's just like this, this rubber stamp diagnosis. They don't really do that with NFL players. They're definitely bringing TBI much more to the forefront, but we're up against a fight of misdiagnosis in the veteran community because uh, no amount of talk therapy or pharmaceuticals will combat a degenerative brain disease. Yeah, a physical disease that obviously is then going to affect it, cause an imbalance and then neurotransmitter release. I mean, our brain is our best pharmacy, right? And so if if the physical hardware is damaged, it's going to you know release some wonky chemistry that could lead and look like PTSD. So before we get into this beautiful solution that um, you found, Amber, you know, the wives are kind of the unsung heroes um, and you've been a champion of his, of Marcus's healing journey because of the love you have for him. And, but I'd like you to just kind of share how difficult the whole journey was um, and how, you know, just you, you noticed a change in your husband, um, you know, personality and existence and, and, and mood and, and how that affected you and the family and, and, and what you did to try and, and help bring your husband back. I think there are so many, um, just to start with the veteran, this is the first time in American history that someone could have served an entire 20 year career during a time of war. And so for the generation that adapted, um, you know, right at nine 11, like, Marcus's um, buds class, for example, he still has his buds roommate is still serving today, still deploying today, 20 years later, the spouses who have held it together during this unprecedented two decades of combat are still having to hold it together. Now we're seeing a lot of struggle with the veterans themselves, which is to be expected, you know, society is kind of just, yeah, veterans struggle and that's to be expected. What really gets overlooked is the struggle of the the spouse and children. 
And, you know, they're still trying to hold together, still trying to find solutions, being trying to you know, do whatever they can to help their veteran. Um, that's where I was with Marcus. And I knew that I was exhausting all efforts available to me and we were running out of time. I felt like he was running out of time. Um, that we very well could lose him to suicide. I also felt like I was running out of time as a mother in what I was willing to subject my children to. And so I never wanted to leave him. I never wanted to give up on him, but I felt like I was coming to a place where I had no choice. And the brain clinics, you know, when we decided to take a pivot from military medicine, the brain clinics and kind of going this semi-alternative Western route with, you know, hyperbaric oxygen or magnetic brain stimulation, I felt like, well, this is all I've got. And uh, he went to five of those types of clinics or treatments, and he was probably more unhinged at the end than he'd been to date. And I just thought, I can't do this anymore. So I, I was kind of coming to terms with the fact that I was going to leave him. And that probably meant that he would not be around for much longer. And you know, how do you grapple with that? You think you're protecting your kids on one hand, but on the other hand, you could be subjecting them to a lifetime without their father. It was just, it was a lot for me. Mm-hmm. And I remembered a friend who had done an alternative plant medicine treatment outside of the US and reported that, you know, saved his life. It changed his life dramatically. And so this thought popped into my mind and I thought, well, two things. One, it could really work and that would be amazing. I didn't have a lot of hope left at that point, but I was hopeful. Um, But two, if it didn't work, then I will know that I have tried everything and this would go a long way in forgiving myself if the worst happened. So it was very much outside of my comfort zone. I didn't know a lot about it, but I trusted the other SEAL who was guiding us uh, and sharing his experience. I approached Marcus with it. After really two years of leaning into my own healing journey, I was able to see him through different eyes. I was able to approach him in a completely different way. And that resonated with him because we were both exhausted, yet we somehow found a way to come back together on this path. And he went to, he went out of the U.S. and uh, did a psychedelic assisted plant medicine treatment. One of the reasons I made Heal is because I'm so in awe of the human body. It is an amazing organic machine. It turns food into energy, heals wounds, supports our consciousness, and so much more. But it needs the right fuel and signals to function at its best. These include adaptogens, which are compounds that balance hormones and help you deal with stress in a healthier way. If you're feeling tired, these compounds give you a boost of energy. If you're stressed, they help you return to a natural state of calm. They literally help you adapt to the stress of life. My favorite source of adaptogens is Organifi. They create these delicious superfood blends that mix with water, making it easy for me to get more adaptogens in my day like ashwagandha, reishi mushroom, rhodiola, and more. If you're like me, you know the importance of eating healthy, but you don't always have the time or willpower to cook with all the colors of the rainbow. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients that you can mix easily with water or the beverage of your choice. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with organic ingredients, free of fillers, and less than three grams of sugar per serving. I love Organifi Green Juice, which has all the essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and supports healthy cortisol levels. I also love Organifi Gold, a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so I can wake up feeling refreshed. I make mine like a golden milk latte and boy is it delish. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. So you can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com slash Heal Podcast and use code Heal Podcast for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com backslash Heal Podcast and use code Heal Podcast for 20% off any item. What's up, family? We are Terrell and Jarius, the host of Let's Go There, where we will, in fact, go there every single week. Every Wednesday in this podcast, no topics are off limits for us. We will be pushing ourselves and you to see different perspectives, challenging what you think you know, and have fun all at the same time. So listen, I want you guys to go ahead and buckle up because going there is going to be the ride of your life. See you guys next week. Okay, so uh, 
Thank you for that setup because again, this like the way you tell this transformation story is just stuck with me for forever. Um, so Marcus, why don't you kind of go into what that plant medicine psychedelic was and what the setting was and, and your experience and, and uh, going through it? Yeah. Um, you know, just as Amber mentioned, it was more frustrating uh, every, you know, modality that you you go to because you you hear that you're going to be better when you come out of this place. And, you know, as Amber mentioned, it, it was just more frustrating that I wasn't getting better. And you know, thank goodness we went to, you know, one of the top brain clinics in the world and they actually did um, take a bunch of imaging and it showed that I had some, you know, structural damage to the brain, which on one hand, it was great to know. On the other hand, it was really depressing. He was saying, hey, you know, you, you may have some real issues going forward. And so that was a little, I don't say frustrating, but at least I was, you know, I understood that, okay, there's something here and, and maybe there's something we can do to, to make it better. Um, or at least we know potentially this is what's causing some of the problems. When I first heard about psychedelic therapy, you know, my initial reaction was that it didn't make any sense to me, right? Because I, I had been taking SSRIs, multiple SSRIs and other pills along with that for years that the first on active duty, I was first prescribed my, my first antidepressant until 2017, basically the weekend I went through treatment. And so here I am being told that I'm going to take another medicine to get better. And so that didn't make sense to me. And then a psychedelic didn't make sense because I heard, you know, all we, you know, learned about growing up was a war on drugs and brains, you know, uh, this is your brain on drugs and you see the little egg in the, in the frying pan. <laughs> so we had that stigma and, you know, psychedelics, come on, you know, people dancing in an open field at Woodstock <laughs> in hair, and this is just nuts. Um, I was like a Long Island kid who played sports and went to old boys Catholic school in Queens. Right. To me, this was crazy. So it took about a year. I did my own research. I did a lot of reading. There was a lot of information to back it up for originally these medicines were intended for for mental health use. And they were just taken as, and used as recreational drugs. Like a lot of people do. They take, you know, again, not us, but you know, there's millions of people out there that use prescribed drugs for their, you know, recreational life. And so that's what happened with psychedelics. Uh, the government didn't like that. They scheduled them as schedule one uh, medicines, which means they have highly addictive not medicine, schedule one substances. Well, substances, but they are medicines. <laughs> they are. Uh, not heroin. Well, not heroin. They're, they're, that's the crazy <laughs> well, no, opioids, opioid is a medicine, you know? So anyway, anyway, we couldn't use them. We couldn't research them. Fast forward. Now we're on this Renaissance. I thought I tried everything else up until this point. So, you know, why not try something that at least everything I'm reading actually works. I was very hesitant. You know, I was just tired of us fighting. I was tired of not having a relationship with the kids. And I was just tired in general of not being healed. And so I, you know, it took a leap of faith, um, worked with my, you know, my, my therapist, my, my psychedelic therapist, uh, who had just years and years of experience and, and she was a PhD and, um, got me prepared for my journey because that is most important is going in there, setting intentions. What do you want to get out of this experience? You can't go in there with your mind all over the place because you may have a rough, a rough time and you also may not get out what you need. And so, you know, preparation and integration, we always, we always preach that. Um, and I, I, you know, I dove in and, um, the, the journey was anywhere from eight to 12 hours of, of misery for me <laughs> I experienced it's in pill form and you take it per your body weight. Um, Ibogaine was the 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 uh, the plant medicine. Well, Ibogaine is actually um, uh, synthesized from the aboga plant or the aboga root. It, it grows in West Africa, um, and it's been used in some of the, the indigenous cultures for years. And it's just it, it is a it is a punch in the face, punch in the gut for hours. Um, but you you uh, you experience many of the traumas potentially that you uh, are affecting your everyday life that may have been maybe hidden in your subconscious. What the drug does is it pulls it to the forefront and you actually witness this I and mean, you're, you're actually in an awakened dream state. So you're, you're actually almost watching a, or you are watching 
a movie of your life flicker in front of you. And uh, some individuals, including myself, um, actually at some points of the experience, watched this like hard drive defrag. So you almost see your life in files of pictures and you, you could like feel your brain because you could feel everything. When you're on the drug, um, you literally can feel, you know, like they call it a body scan. You could feel different parts of your body that may not be, blood not, might, may not be flowing correctly, but you can actually feel everything. You can feel the blood coming into your brain when you're on it. Um, and, and so you can also feel your brain defrag. And, it, and when it defrags, it's like cleaning up a hard drive. You literally feel like you've just filtered out all the garbage, you know, and you just pulled all these weights that have been like, you know, leaning on your shoulders and you come out of there just light and fresh and energetic and happy, you know, and sad and emotional because we, you know, these emotions were tucked away for so long and, and, um, you know, you're just able to love again and feel again and look at things differently. Like you could actually look at plants and trees and stuff and say, wow, look at that. It's green or the wind's blowing or the sun looks beautiful. And these are just things that never even, you know, crossed my mind before. And so it was just, it was just an amazing experience as horrible as, as the actual experience was. And it was very dark and demonic. And, you know, I obviously had a lot of, um, quote unquote demons to, to, to deal with. Um, but once those all went away, it was just like, it was, it was magic. Amber and I, you know, we just said, we embraced, um, after the experience, you know, when I woke up, I slept for hours later because you're, you're, you know, you're wiped out, you're up all night. Um, but when I woke up and I saw Amber, I just said, like, this is incredible. Like, how do we share? How do we spread this word? It's just unbelievable. And, you know, that's, kind of the trend is that most individuals who come out of these experiences realize that they actually, they actually had so much suffering, whatever that meant. And now they're free and now they just want to help because you just, um, it's something special about, about the drug that you want to help others and you want to make, uh, you know, make the world a better place. And so it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty radical. Um, before I ask Amber about her experience, cause again, uh, I love that part of the story. Um, a lot of people that I, I speak to about psychedelics and I've done ayahuasca and mushrooms and other things, but it's, you know, these are plants that come from nature and yes, the ibogaine is actually synthesized and, and you did it in a clinical setting with the right kind of therapist and doctor to administer and make sure that you, uh, you know, prepared and integrated after, which is so important for a healing journey, you know, setting intentions, like you said. Um, but was there, what I find is these plant medicines that indigenous cultures have been using in the proper setting with the proper guidance of a shaman or a medicine person or whatever, um, they are portals to, you know, kind of reconnecting to not only ourselves, but the world around us, each other and nature. It's like a, a powerful dose of nature and a reconnection to source. Did you, how, like, were you conscious of this? connection that you felt? It was unbelievable, Kelly. Um, there's an experience I had that I watched a, um, I watched a nuclear bomb go off. And I mean this, like I watched the mushroom cloud in the distance, you know, like, why was I seeing that? And I remember just saying, holy shit, we did this. Like man did this. Like we, we did this to ourselves." Um, it was wild because I, I don't know why I was having that vision and I don't know why I was having those thoughts, but that was the first thought I had. I'm like, Oh, we, we developed that thing that just, you know, went boom. Um, and, and granted, um, what I did as a seal, I will never, um, like I, I would do it again. Like I, I loved that. Like I'm still me. Like I loved being, a, you know, a special operations soldier. I loved the individuals I worked with. I loved going overseas and, you know, protecting America against, you know, future attacks and, and taking terrorists off the street. Like I love that part and I'll never, but, but I also now see another part. Right. And like I said, you know, seeing the nuclear bomb go off in my experience was just wild. And the first thing I thought, I was like, man, and I said, man created that, like we did that, you know? And so you do have this insane connection with um, individuals and nature I don't know how to explain it. It's just one of those things that um, you feel, right? And is it because we're we're really not 
solid individuals were made up of, you know, molecules and cells and everything else is too. And so I don't know, like that's, you know, that's, that's way above here. You know, you could talk to, you know, people like Alan Watts and individuals like that who, who are not around anymore, who probably are, um, know a little bit more about that than I do. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful shift in perception. You know, you, you love the elements of being on a team and competing and pushing yourselves and solving problems and protecting the vulnerable. Um, but you had this awareness, like we're full circle. We're all humanity and there's gotta be some other way, you know? Kelly, I mean, we, you know, for years, um, like I said, I'll, I'll still be a warrior in, 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 in my own right. Um, and Amber knows that. And, you know, warriors for years though, when they defended their nation, city, town, whatever it was, they healed in between or after. So they fought and they came back and they healed, right? And they, they, they got better and they, they, they worked together as a community and, and, you know, they built and they, you know, they, they it's a creative element. grew food and they, yeah. And they just, they did things together, you know, and then, you know, and then the bad people come along and then they have to go back to war and defend you know, their, their homeland again, and then they go back and heal. And I think that's where we, I think we got it wrong for a number of years is that, um, we're just, we're just going too hard, you know, and, and, um, some of us burn out early. And, you know, I always say, I envy the ones that have done 20 and 30 years and have done three or four times more deployments than I have. You know, I wish, you know, I wish I can, uh, I could have kept, kept up with them, but you know, I, I broke down. (laughs) <laughs> but now you're in a healing phase and you now, are bringing, bringing healing and this experience through your, your organization vets, you're bringing this healing phase that is missing in so many veterans lives um, because we've been in this constant state of war for the last 20 years. And, you know, obviously even before that Vietnam, there was so many unresolved uh, there was, there was no healing. There's no, there's no completion to the cycle. So it's just complete burnout and destruction of, of these people that we're fighting for our freedoms, you know? So you're yeah. bringing this awareness and element that is missing, uh, to protect the people that are protecting us. And it's so beautiful. We did, we did fail our Vietnam vets and I feel terrible about that. And we are, um, just our organization, you know, we are, there are veterans that are reaching out from Vietnam saying, Hey, you know, we didn't get anything, you know? So we are helping the, the, the problem is, um, most of those individuals are like in their mid, mid seventies. And so it's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, you know, they have to be really screened prior to, uh, you know, prior to any plant medicine journeys, but, you know, we did fail, I think as a country in taking care of those individuals, I think we've done a really good job. I think we've flipped that 180 and, and, you know, uh, nonprofits like ours, and there's hundreds out there that are doing amazing work, make sure that we don't do that again. So, yeah. Amazing. So back to Amber, uh, when I first interviewed you, you described the first moment you made contact after, um, Marcus emerged from his journey. Um, can you describe that for us? Absolutely. Um, this time four years ago, I was truly, I, I was just thinking, you know, please, but please hold on. I was begging him to please hold on. And he went for treatment on Veterans Day of 2017. So we're approaching the four-year anniversary. And when you put all your cards on the table like that, and you get to the day where you, you know, I dropped him off at the airport and I thought like, this is it. If this doesn't work, then I don't know where we go from here. And so seeing him for the first time was really, um, gut wrenching. I was just, I was so nervous, uh, because I, I thought if it doesn't work and it's, he's no better, I'm going to be absolutely heartbroken. And, um, I was very nervous to see him. He came down the hall. I could hear his footsteps. And when he came around the corner, it was really like being reunited with him for the first time ever. Uh, the first time that I met him his whole demeanor was different. His, um, personality was back his heaviness was lifted he doesn't even know this but um the our friends uh had intercepted him from the airport taken him to the clinic and uh the 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 wife called me and (laughs) said um she said marcus's energy is so bad i can't be in the same room with him i don't know how you live with him and all of that was gone in the next day 
it was just, he was completely back to normal. And of course, like, you know, there have been bad days since. Some of his worst days have come since. Uh, our organization was born out of, you know, the, the want to pay this forward. And over the last four years, we've learned that even through our own experience as well, we've learned that it's not going to fix your problems. It's going to give you the opportunity to create the space to do the hard work. And um, the tough days that have come since have served a purpose in allowing Marcus to utilize new tools in getting himself out of a, a really dark place. So um, we've worked together as a couple. We've both worked individually. We're still working. It's like, you know, ups and downs, but generally trending upward. And um, our life is completely different today. Yeah, those down days are um, really short-lived now. And, and like Amber said, you know, we have our daily practices and routines that, you know, we are unfortunately or fortunately going to have to do for the rest of our, our lives. Um, you know, meditation is a huge part of my life now. Um, it's the first thing I do in the morning for, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. And I try to do it for, you know, 15 to 20 in the afternoon. But it's, for me, it just, wow. Talking about like just regulating everything, it, it's it's, it's, I call it saving my life now because it's just so addicting and it's, it feels so good. <laughs> by the way, by the way, you have like physical brain injury, which hopefully is healing and regenerating as we know brains can now, um, with all the work you've done. But like I say, meditation is saving me on a daily basis and I haven't had trauma. Um, thank God. Uh, you know, and I, you know, you're human and you just happen to have this like rich history of badassery. So you're, maybe your maybe your swings are slightly more extreme than mine, but I have really bad days where I lose my shit and yep. I have to come back to my tools. So you're human and it is a process, but I think we're all healing uh, relative to our own circumstances every day. And, and we have to have those tools to save, save ourselves every day, you know? Yes. yes. Um, so uh, I'm going to get into vets in a second, because this is this is the, you know, again, you are going through, you went through the fire and, and you came back and now you're, you're a healer, basically. You're helping others heal through your experience. And um, what other, I know you guys help to offer grants and, and support for different psychedelics. There's, I think, five or six of them. What, what all have you tried and, and what kind of has been your Reader's Digest uh, or two minute kind of experience with them? Uh, in terms of medicines? In terms of plant medicine, yeah. For yeah, I've, um, you know, I microdose regularly. I think it's, again, it's a, it's a game changer, you know, and I, I it's just puts you in a, it puts you in the right place. It, it helps you be creative. It, it helps you focus, um, keeps your mood light. Um, you know, I've done um, some ketamine therapies on some of the down days that Amber were talking about, you know, so I went to actual, you know, vetted ketamine clinics here in the U S um, and went through their protocol. I think ketamine for suicidal ideation, you know, for treatment resistant depression is, I don't think there's anything better or quicker. Um, I have done uh, psilocybin, you know, mushroom experience. Um, I have not done ayahuasca experience. Um, I am very interested because, you know, I hear so much good that comes from it and so much growth and, and learning. And that's what these are. Every, every time I, you know, go into these journeys for me, it's growth education. How do I get better? You know, um, how do we become more aware, more mindful? 5-MeO-DMT. did 5-MeO-DMT. Thank you. So the, the, um, the protocol that many of the individuals are, are doing is an Ibogaine uh, treatment followed by roughly 48 hours later, a 5-MeO experience. And 5-MeO, if you know, comes from, they call it the toad. Um, what was it? 5-methoxy-methyltryptamine. Methox, <laughs> <laughs> I know it. Um, anyway, it's, it's one of the most powerful psychedelics on the planet. It gets you from zero to 100 and immediately, um, which could be a little scary. But it, it, it's very nice after Ibogaine, which has been really tough and rough and mean and dark. Um, 5-MeO kind of brings you to the light and, and it really just kind of opens your heart. And, um, so it's a nice, what they call it kind of a cherry on top. Um, mm -hmm. and also some people actually 
have similar experiences on 5MEO that they had on Ibogaine. So some of them are talking to their dead buddies, you know, that they served mm. with overseas. So, you know, some people can go that, that way on 5MEO, but for most people, it's a very enlightening, light um, experience uh, itself. So DMT, right? It's 5MEO DMT. Is that what it is? DMT is, is, is a separate, it's a separate molecule. 5MEO okay. is a different molecule. It's, okay. it's uh, I, I kind of call it a step up because it definitely is a different journey. I think DMT is a little bit more like visual and colorful. 5-MeO is not, it's very white, white light. And you're, you're almost separated. It's pure ego death. Um, oh. You know, some people just like see themselves just kind of like melting into the earth and then just being in this like wonderment, you know, around them. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to vets you have created this beautiful organization that raises money offers grants to other veterans um who are well explain to me what vets is vets is our 501c3 organization that was born out of our own struggles and triumph and um what really pushed us to come out of the shadows and get out of our comfort zone was the suicide of one of my closest friends husbands I thought, you know, this can happen to Chad. It can happen to anybody. We'd walk that path and we'd done it largely alone. There's such a stigma of speaking out and saying that you need help, whether you're active duty or you're a veteran in a very ego-driven community. Um, no one wants to raise their hand in vulnerability and it's, it, it, that will cost someone their life potentially. And so um, we put together vets to uh, provide resources to get veterans out of the United States immediately so they have access to these life-saving treatments um, because they're not available in the United States. They're all schedule one right now with the exception of ketamine. Uh, MDMA will be available hopefully in 2023 and psilocybin around 2025, but the FDA process you know, takes forever and it's, it's millions upon millions of dollars and a lot of bureaucratic red tape. We found a way to circumvent all of that and create a three-pronged approach to um, ensure the highest likelihood of success both now and in the future. So we provide grants to veterans to leave the United States to seek these therapies, but we track their outcomes stateside in IRB-backed research so that we can use the anecdotal you know, very stories from very credible voices alongside the data to drive policy change. And we've started that. 2022 will be a really exciting year for policy change. We're working in a number of states. We're, we're um, starting work at the federal level as well. We were instrumental, I, I think, in passing a bill in Texas, which pairs the Houston VA with Baylor College of Medicine using taxpayer funding to do a research, um, to do a study on psilocybin-assisted therapy for Texas veterans, which is a huge first step, especially in a state like Texas. Congrats. It's amazing. I mean, seriously, like you see all these veterans. I drive by the VA often in, in LA and in West LA and in Brentwood, and there's literally tent cities everywhere. So the homelessness problem, the suicide problem, all of this has been exacerbated by the year and a half we just all went through. But if you look at these veterans, a lot of people judge them from afar. Oh, they're drug addicts. Oh, they're alcoholics. They're dead. You know, it's they're they're seeking that connection that, you know, dampening down of their trauma, they're seeking an escape. And if we can provide these beautiful tools from nature in the right setting with the right integration and preparation, you know, there's so much we can do. It's, it's just mind blowing to me that, that so much is suppressed in this country that actually works and is not harmful and and we could change lives and 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 really we need to i'm so thankful that you guys are fighting at the policy level because that's what we need we need to change the way that we um treat veterans and pretty much all people our medical <laughs> our medical institution is is backwards and and obviously that is evident in how many people are sick today so um and that's and that's why you that's why you're here <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing i'm doing my best but that's i honor yeah. I mean, like, yeah, so much needs to be changed and it's so amazing what you're doing. And I'm, I'm excited to contribute to your gala, um, which is coming up on 11, 11, right? 
Yeah, it's our, our inaugural fundraising gala at the Hotel Del Coronado. And um, it's on Veterans Day, which ironically is the four-year anniversary of Marcus's successful treatment, which kicked off all of this. So it's a very fitting day and time to bring together those in support of our work and what we've really been most encouraged by. Um, what One of the things, aside from helping to change and save and impact lives, is the unity that is created around these therapies um, from all walks of life, both sides of the political aisle. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your beliefs are. Uh, we've seen a real uniting around these therapies and around starting with the veteran voice to advocate for them and eventually, uh, hopefully, get, giving access to all Americans because, yeah, I mean, I think the whole world could benefit from this, but we've got to start somewhere. So um, we're really excited about the gala. Amazing. And we're, this episode is dropping on 1111 too. So we're just, we're really, uh, yeah. yeah. So um, where can people who are listening that know someone that could use your support or, or want to find out more to, to actually contribute themselves, where can people find you and vets? Our website is vetsolutions.org. We're on all social media platforms as well. Um, the best place to start would be the website. We've developed a free e-course for veterans, which can be found on our website. We've got all of our most recent uh, news media and everything that we're doing listed right there. So um, yeah, probably visiting our website. And one more time, what does VET stand for? VET stands for Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. Amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, I always love talking to you guys. Your story truly just is so powerful and, and so inspiring. And, and you're bringing the healing back into the warrior um, archetype and, and story, which is so needed and missing in this country and, and abroad. So um, thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for sharing your story. And uh, I hope that I can hang with you guys soon. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Kelly. Thank you for listening to The Heal Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for more empowering wisdom and inspiring healing stories. Oh, and make sure you hit the follow button on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answer you've been searching for. And if you feel inspired, we would love you to rate and review us so that we have the opportunity to reach more people. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram for some behind the scenes fun and more inspiration at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gorris. Thank you so much and be well. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.